Well, good morning. Are you guys happy to be here this morning? Awesome. Well, as you've probably noticed, Doug isn't here today. Um, he is in Missouri visiting his grandchild, and so um, he's given me the pleasure and trusted me enough to be able to come up and to preach today. Um, and if you were here last week, so Doug kicked us off in a series that we've called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, and we're going through the book of Colossians. And last week, Doug talked about the supremacy of Christ. Uh, he talked about how Jesus is not just the image of God, but he is the mere reflection of God. That if you wanted to see how God would act or how God would speak and what God would say, that Jesus was the perfect example of that. And that we should look at him, that he's the reflection of God. We talked about how he's superior to all creation and that he's sovereign over all creation. But most importantly, we talked last week how he is the source of our salvation. Amen? And all of these things point to that Jesus is supreme. And so that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so today we're going to continue through the book of Colossians. Um, Paul is going to begin to talk a little bit about suffering. And I told Doug, I was like, Doug, you keep giving me passages about suffering. What's up with that? Um, And so maybe next time. But today we're going to continue on that topic. And the question that we're going to be asking about suffering is, is it worth it? And that's a hard question to ask, right? But we, we all kind of understand that there are some things in life that we find worth suffering for, right? I was scroll, even scrolling through Instagram as, as I was preparing for this message this week, and I saw a post um, by the U.S. Army, and it said, uh, a, a quote by Anonymous, right? But it said, nobody said it would be easy, but they all said it would be worth it, Right? And so when I think about people that go through, you know, hard conditions um, for it to pay off in the end, I think of people like athletes, right? I think of people like Kobe Bryant, who's one of the best basketball players of all time. In his career, when Kobe Bryant wanted to perfect his jump shot, he would take so many shots a day. Does anybody want to guess how many shots a day he would make? Anybody? A thousand? Any other guesses? That's a random number, 328. Um, no, Kobe Bryant would make 2,000 shots a day. Not take, he would make 2,000 shots a day. And I'm sure when he got the shot 1,000, I mean, at least it's how it would have been. I'd be like, oh, that's enough. You know? Um, but no, he wanted to perfect it. Right? And so he would go on, right? And this is calculated. This is actually really cool. It was calculated by a mathematician that Kobe Bryant with one basketball, right, and one rebounder can make 500 shots in an hour. That's a lot. Um, But in the end, right, after all that stuff that he went through, after all that practice, he was a five-time champion and an 18-time All-Star. I think of another one. It's Michael Phelps, right? Michael Phelps was in the height of his swimming career. He would spend 10 hours a day training. Six hours were in the pool. Four hours were weightlifting. I looked up his schedule, and he only had an hour and a half to two hours to spend with his fiance and his kid, right? So he suffered. He lost family time on that. But when Phelps retired from swimming, he walked away not only the most decorated swimmer, but the most decorated Olympian, with 28 Olympic medals, 23 of which were gold. And so you see, there are things in our life that we recognize that in order to be effective or to be great, there might be suffering involved. When I think about suffering and I think about the Bible, the only person probably besides Jesus that suffered the most in the New Testament was Paul, which is the writer of Colossians. And I mean, Paul endured a lot. And so here are just some stats about all that Paul has endured that he lists out in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, five times he was whipped, 40 lashes, except for once he got lucky and they only whipped him 39 times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with rocks. Three times he had been shipwrecked. Once he spent a day and night drifting in the ocean. And then lastly, he talks about how he never had a home. See, Paul endured some crazy stuff. 
But if you were going to go to the end of Paul's life, and you were going to talk to him, and you were to ask him the one question, if you were asking Paul, at the end of it all, was it worth it? Without missing a beat, he would say yes. He would say yes. And so I want to look at the scripture today, first in Colossians 1, 24 through 2 through 5. I'm going to read it, um, and I want us to answer the question of, to Paul, why was it worth it? And so Colossians 1, 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everybody mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great, um, sorry, for I want you to know how great uh, struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with possible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So like I said, today the question that is on the table for us that we need to ask ourselves is do we think, but more importantly, do we live like suffering for Christ is worth it? And I think our Christian tendency, right, is to immediately say, yes, of course it's worth it. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always live like it's worth it. And I think the way we live is determined by the lens at which we view our life, right? And so I brought a cool illustration, and so I brought these big lenses, right? So everything in front of me is determined on what I'm looking through, right? So all of you just got a little bit darker. But some of us, look at our life through different lenses. Some of us look at our life through the lens of money, right? And some of us, when I think when I say that, a lot of us think of the person who's maybe like Scrooge from the Christmas story. We think that people who look at their lives through money are the people who are at home hoarding it and, and counting it and just relishing in it. But I think more often than not, that person is the person who's constantly worried about money, more worried about provision, and they find some sense of security in it, Right? Um, and so when we look at our lives, I think, through the lens of money, it becomes something worth suffering for, right? Financial security, it becomes worth it. You may have, if this is you, you may have multiple jobs. You might forget to create time for yourself and to spend time with others. Um, you might find yourself working and working and working. You don't spend time with people because you don't want to spend money, right? I once had a friend, um, and this is amazing. He was an engineer, but... Um, we would go out to eat all the time, and he was in our Bible study, but this guy always, whether in his car or in his backpack, had a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, and a butter knife. And wherever we went, no matter where, he always made a peanut butter sandwich instead of paying for um, a meal because he wanted that financial security, right? Um, but when we're looking through that lens of money, right, that kind of missing out and suffering, it becomes worth it. Because at the end of the month, we can put X amount of money into our savings account. I think another lens that some of us unconsciously look through is success, 
right? We look at our life through lens of success. Some of us want to be great at whatever we do, and that's not a bad thing. But it becomes bad when we pour tons and tons and tons of hours into our work, when the hours of nine to five mean nothing to us, right? And it stinks in the middle, right? You can get tired. You can get weary. You can be missing out on some things. But at the end of the day, it might be worth it for you when your boss tells you good job or you get that raise at the end of the year. And so you see, depending on which lens we're looking at our lives through, we find different things we're suffering for. And if the one thing is true of Paul, he found the church and the, and the name of Jesus worth suffering for. So which lens is Paul looking through? Right? I think that's the next question. I think as we go through the passage, there are two lenses that we kind of see Paul's looking through um, and that allows us to see that suffering for Christ is worth it. And I think the first lens that we have to look through is the lens of calling, right? In Colossians 1, 24 through 29, it says this. Let's see if I can read. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And let's just stop right there for a second. Right? Right there is the lens at which Paul is viewing everything through. He says, I have been commissioned by God to present them the word in its fullness. He's viewing his life through the lens of calling. Right? Um, I love that. Oh, sorry. And so the word calling, I think in church, we typically take it to mean like, and you might hear this phrase, and I know I've definitely used it, is I, just, the, I don't know what the Lord is calling me to. Right? And we use that sometimes in, in the meaning of a job. Right? I don't know what job the Lord wants me to take. I or we use it a place of location where we're going to move. I don't know what city the Lord is calling me to. Right? But I want to, and so you might say, Elijah, like, that's great that Paul knows his calling. But man, I don't know mine. Well, let me tell you one thing. There, there is a universal calling that we all have. And the universal calling that we have is to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And my favorite part of that calling, of the Great Commission, is there's a section, and I think in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, that right before Jesus gives that commission to people, there is, it says that there are some who doubted. And so maybe this morning you're doubting your calling. You're doubting where God is calling you to. You doubt that God can use you. But let me be clear this morning, you still have a calling on your life. So no matter where we work or what we do, our calling is the same. And now that might outwork itself differently. Does that make sense? Depending on where you work or what you do or where you live. But the calling is still the same. You see, Paul's calling as well as ours is to make God fully known to the lost and to build each other up in wisdom. He says this in verse 27, right, through the rest of the section. He says, um, he says to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everybody with all wisdoms that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil with all this energy that he has powerfully worked within me. So sometimes in living out your calling, we go through times of suffering, right? To share the gospel wherever we are isn't always easy. Uh, a lot of time we can talk to people who seem uninterested or uncaring about the gospel. And it kind of reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah. You see, biblical scholars have given the prophet Jeremiah, the name, the weeping prophet, um, because when he would share the gospel, people ridiculed him so much and made so much fun of him, so, so much fun of him. And this is the prayer he writes in Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 10. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. 
But you are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everybody mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction for the word. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Right? But then he talks about how he can't help it. He says, if I say, I will not mention this or speak any more in his name, there in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering terror in on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. See, say, all my close friends are watching me for my failure. Perhaps he will be deceived, they say. Then we can overcome him, and we can take our revenge on him. And so maybe it's not as harsh for you as Jeremiah was. It's probably not the same, but some of us are probably able to relate. And Paul endured this kind of suffering, right? When he would proclaim the gospel to the lost, um, he would suffer. We talked about it earlier. But when we do this, when we suffer either big or either small for the sake of Christ and for sharing the gospel, Christ works in us. And this is what Paul says at the end of the section. He says that he contends with all the energy that Christ works through him. Right? Don't you want Christ to work through you? Isn't it worth the suffering for Christ to work through you? Right? And so what is the end result of the suffering? Paul answers that as the first thing in verse 24. He says, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. So this is the response for suffering for Christ when we look at it through the lens of calling. The second lens in which I think we see Paul look through is the lens of having a heart for people, right? Having a heart for people. Um, and so we look at this lens. This is in chapter 2, verse 1, right, of Colossians. He says this. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. Right? He says that he is suffering, that he is contending for their sake. Why? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. Right? He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is suffering for them because he wants them to know who Jesus is. He wants them to know who Jesus is because of how he changed Paul's life. Right? To know that they are seen. To know that God is with them. He wants them to be united in love for each other so that they may know the fullness of Christ. You see, Paul had a heart for people. He wants them to know the God that changed his life, the God that while yet Paul was pursuing a life of unrighteousness and walking and following a religion that left him incomplete and empty, God stepped in and turned everything around. For some of us, that's our story, that while we were yet sinning, God stepped in and turned our life around. Isn't that worth sharing with somebody? He wants them to know that God gave him meaning and God gave him purpose. That God saw him and cared about him. And so a sign that you're looking through the lens of having a heart for people is that you begin to care um, and have a burden for the lost. That you begin to care about potential dangers that could harm their faith. This is why in verse, Paul, in verse 4, Paul warns the church at Colossae to be careful about what seemed like sound arguments about religion that were circling around them. He tells them, about the fullness of Christ and the gospel so they won't be deceived by what seem like logical arguments of the day. See, it's our duty as we look through the lens of calling and through the lens of heart for people to talk to people about Jesus, 
who, like, to point people back to his word and to clarify questions they may have, to, be, to help them with things they might be struggling through. So that's stuff Paul goes on to address later in the chapter, those, uh, those arguments that were going around in that day. But when you look through the lens of having a heart for people, you begin to have a burden where you care for the spiritual life of others. And so are we wearing that lens? Are we wearing the lens of a heart for people? Do we live our lives like we care about other people encountering Jesus the same way we have? Do we feel a weight like Jeremiah and Paul talked about to share the name of Christ? Jeremiah says, I can't keep it in. I have to let it go. I have to tell people. So do we feel a weight to see people follow the path Jesus has laid out for them? Do you think it's worth it to suffer if it pushes other people forward to see Jesus? Um, One of my favorite things is there's a church in Georgia that they call their volunteers door holders. And the reason they call them door holders is because the whole idea is that these people have had Jesus work in their lives and seen what he can do. And so they believe their job is simply just to open the door for somebody else to experience him. That's living life through a lens of having a heart for people. I don't know about you, but I want my life and I want our church to be a door holder for people to come and see who Jesus is. And so do you see that? Do you see the calling God has placed on your life? Do you see the calling God made me place on your life to reach your family for Christ? Do you feel the burden for the person you work with who is lost without meaning? Are you willing to give up time? Are you willing to give up money? And are you willing to give up reputation to reach that person? You see, Paul did, and he says it in verse 5. In verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am without you. This is what he says it's worth it. He says, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so this morning, I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. You don't need to answer it out loud, but I just want you to think about it. If you are to look at your life, and you look at it through this lens, would you be able to say, is it worth it? Look at your life and ask if you've been living like it's worth it to suffer for Christ. And like I said in the beginning, some of us might respond with yes. But if your life were to come down to it, and you had to lay it down for the gospel, would you do it? You see, we're so lucky to live in a country where we can express our love for Christ and that we have the freedom to worship Jesus, right? But if we didn't, would your life be the same? Would your faith be the same? Don't let that luxury we have cheapen your faith and cheapen your devotion to him. Have you been living with the lens of calling on your life? Have you been living with the lens of a heart for people? If not, in a minute we're going to close in prayer. But I just want you to ask God to put those lenses over your eyes. Will you ask him to open your eyes to the calling of the great commission that he's placed on your life? To open your eyes to the people around you that need him. Because in the end, it is worth it to suffer for Christ. But it all depends on which lens you're looking through. And how deep you want your faith to go. Uh, Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. That you come and that you challenge us and that you push us deeper into faith. God, I pray that you open our eyes. Lord, open our heart to the calling that you've placed in our life. Give us a burden for the hearts and the people around us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you set a fire in our bones like Jeremiah. Or that we can't help but share your name. So Lord, make the cry of our hearts and of our lives be that you are worth it. You're worth every bit of suffering, no matter how big or how small, God. You are worth it. 
God, we love you for all that you are. Change our hearts. Holy Spirit, lead us into deeper waters of faith. Lord, you are worthy, and it's in your worthy and powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.